Well, hello, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm the host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you are a regular listener, if you're a first time guest, uh, thank you for checking us out. And I want to invite you to consider subscribing to this podcast so that you can stay up to date on everything that we're doing and maybe even engage with our community. Also, I want to invite you to give if you've never given uh, to any church or to Life Church, uh, but you'd like to be a part of what we're doing. Uh, and invest in it, uh, I would invite you to go to lifechurchcanton.org slash give and check out the ways in which your giving makes an impact as well as ways to give. Uh, Thank you ahead of time for doing that. We are in a series called The Code, and we're talking about our code as a church, kind of what makes us unique, sort of who we have been, who we are, and who we're becoming. And this is the third year in a row that we're talking about this, uh, because sometimes we forget who we are, and we need to be reminded of what God has in store for us and what he wants from us uh, to do for us and to do through us. And so uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is the the code as it relates to Encounter Jesus. Uh, this message is from me, so I hope you enjoy. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited that you are here with us in person. And for those of you watching online, glad you are with us as well. Uh, Our hope is that you would engage with us in whatever way is possible to you. For those of you online, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is somebody that is moderating the chat, the comment section. And so at any time, if you have a question, if you have a prayer request, if you uh, have a link that you want to click on, just engage with us and we'd be happy to help you take your next steps. All of you uh, in the room, you have a connect card on your chair. You can hold that in one hand, pen in the other. And if something sticks out to you and you want to make a note, go ahead and do that as well. We're in a series called The Code, and uh, we're going to be talking about that. You already heard uh, a little bit that we're going to be going to the next code, which is Encounter Jesus. I'll get into that in just a second. But our hope for you as we go through these codes and that you hear a little bit more about who we've been, who we are, and who we're becoming is that you'd, be want, to be, you'd want to be part of us. You'd want to be with us, and you'd want to partner with us. And so all of this is leading to partnership. We would love to have you part of our team, part of our family. Uh, But for now, we're going to go into the next code, which is Encounter Jesus. I want to tell you a story first. Back in fifth grade, in fifth grade, I would get these horrible headaches, like massive migraine headaches to the point where I was nauseous all the way to the point where the pain would be so unbearable, I would just throw up from the pain. I'd have to leave school early from time to time uh, because my headaches were so bad, the nausea was so bad, and we had no idea what was going on until finally uh, my parents decided, you know what, we should go get his eyes checked. Let's go get his eyes checked at the optometrist. And so in fifth grade, went to the optometrist, and I realized I needed glasses. And I want to show you a picture of uh, somebody that happened to get glasses. Uh, You didn't know you were going to come to church and see eye candy today. Um, but there is a handsome young man in fifth or sixth grade. I'm not sure when that picture was taken. Uh, but I had to get some glasses. And of course, uh, you know, the style wasn't a thing with glasses in the 90s. At least it wasn't for me in Northwest Iowa. We had two choices to pick from, I think. Um, but I got glasses, and it changed everything. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can see. This is amazing. This is incredible. It, but looking back, you don't think, like, why wasn't this obvious? Why didn't I realize that I couldn't see anything, that in class I was squinting my eyes to see what was ever on the board until finally I get glasses, and it's like, how long have I been doing this? How long have I not known that I, I couldn't see? 
And it was getting headaches so bad to the point where I was nauseous and throwing up. And then it was like, now I, there's no going back, right? Like the moment I would take my glasses off, I realized I, I can't not have these glasses anymore. I have to wear these things. Changed everything. It was incredibly transformational, and all of a sudden I could see clearly now. Fast forward to this last couple of weeks, uh, we have three kids, and we took them all to the, the eye doctor to get their eyes checked. And uh, two of them need glasses. One of them needed an updated prescription. Another one needs glasses for the very first time. So I've got eyes and glasses on the brain today as I give this message. And I want to give you this point, and it might be way overly simplistic, but it's this. Your eyes can be opened, but you might not necessarily see clearly. Simple, right? <laughs> but it's going to make a lot of sense as we go into this message. I want to say it again. Your eyes could be open the whole time, but you might not necessarily see clearly. What I mean by that? I mentioned our code that we're going to be talking about today is encounter Jesus. And in order for us to encounter Jesus, we need to see Jesus clearly. And here's the thing is we might know about Jesus. Maybe we know a little bit of information about Jesus. We might even know Jesus. We might even know the Bible. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we see him clearly for who he actually is. Our eyes could be open, but we might not necessarily see it clearly. And I don't want us to miss an encounter with Jesus and miss seeing him for who he really is. And here's the other thing about this word encounter, this, one of the definitions of encounter is this unexpected experience. Sometimes Jesus encounters us in unexpected ways, but if we don't see him, if we're not looking for him, if we don't see him clearly, we might miss it, and I don't want us to miss it. The story that we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at a story where people who knew Jesus, who even knew their Bibles, so to speak, almost missed an encounter with Jesus because they didn't see him clearly. And so today is going to be a little bit of an eye exam for all of us. And we're going to see if we need to update our lenses, our prescription, or if we need glasses maybe for the very first time. If you're new to the church, brand new, you're here at a perfect time. Might need glasses today. So get ready for your prescription. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 30. Three. As you're going there, just a little bit of context, this is just coming after the, the crucifixion of Jesus. So we're toward the end of the story in the Gospels, and specifically the Gospel according to Luke. Just after the crucifixion and what was the resurrection, although uh, that's not necessarily assumed by the people that we're going to meet today in this particular story. One of the songs that we sang is about the resurrection of Jesus. They don't necessarily know what has all unfolded. They know a crucifixion has taken place but they're not sure what takes place next. So Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 33. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. It's a little bit odd. Let's talk about that for just a second. First of all, uh, they're getting out of town, getting out of Dodge, out of Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the crucifixion had just taken place. 
And there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of danger there. And if you were associated with Jesus, you were probably going to be in trouble as well. So not only the religious leaders put Jesus on trial, but then they brought him to the Roman Empire, who also wanted to sort of quell the rebellion or this movement of Jesus. And so you've got these two people who are enemies, uh, the Romans and the religious leaders, who have now formed an alliance to put down Jesus and the movement that Jesus had begun. And so if you're associated with Jesus at the time and you're in Jerusalem, it's not safe for you to be there. So these, these particular disciples, they've gotten out of town. They're, they're leaving for good reason. There's a lot of chaos, a lot of danger. But here's this other thought that I had is Jesus comes along them and, and starts walking with them, although they don't know him as that. They don't recognize him. And I had this thought uh, as I was looking at this that Jesus can be walking with you but you might not necessarily be walking with him. Does that make sense? Uh, Jesus encounters them, but they don't necessarily encounter him. And I had this thought as I was thinking about uh, last week's message with Nathan and the You Belong message, which was an incredible message. You have to go back and watch it. Even if you've already seen it, watch it again. It's a phenomenal message. But he mentioned this, that some of you might come into churches and feel like I could never go into there because if I do, then the whole place is going to burn up. You feel like that you are so far from Jesus because of something that you've done or said or something that you didn't do. But what you don't realize is that Jesus is not far from you. He's right there next to you. And you belong to Jesus. Sometimes we just need to open our eyes. Let's keep reading. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. So this stranger, they don't know it's Jesus yet, this stranger asked them, what are you guys talking about? And they're devastated. They have just lost their best friend who they probably thought was going to be this powerful leader. He has died. And they are devastated. There's sadness written across their faces. And not only that, but this stranger doesn't know what's going on, so they have to sort of be re-traumatized by telling him the story. Let's read on. Jesus says, well, what things? What things are you talking about, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. It's like, have you been living under a rock? Are you an idiot? Do you not understand? This is a huge deal. We had hoped he was the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Of course, this is why they're devastated. They had an expectation that Jesus was going to fulfill a certain thing for them. They had hoped he was going to be the Messiah to rescue Israel, which means they had hoped that he was going to be, and we've talked about this before, a political and military hero who would help them come, take over, like make their nation great and take over the Roman Empire who had been impressing them for several years and any other empire that had come before them who had oppressed them in history that you can read about in the Old Testament. They were devastated because they thought Jesus was the one to come and save them. But he died. They had an expectation of Jesus that didn't meet, that didn't get met for what they thought their needs were. 
their Messiah, in their minds, wasn't supposed to die. What expectations do you have of Jesus? What is he supposed to be doing for you, or to you, or through you? Do you have an expectation of Jesus that isn't being met? Hold that thought as we read on to verse 22 to 24. Then some women from our group, this is the disciples continuing to talk, then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Wait a second, like, they don't realize this, but they just told the story of the resurrection. So why are they upset? Why are they sad? Why is there devastation? Why is there sadness written across their faces if they just told the story that there's this potential that Jesus is still alive? There's a couple things going on here. First of all, uh, some women from our group. Notice how they point that out. Now, uh, I don't mean this to be derogatory in any way, but in the ancient world, what they understood, and certainly in this culture, they understood that uh, that women weren't credible witnesses. In fact, a woman's testimony would not be submitted in, in a court of law. It's just, that's how they understood it. Woman, women were second-class citizens, maybe even uh, less so, and so their stories weren't credible. And so they have to point out that, well, the men went to go make sure that it was actually true, and sure enough, it was true. But there's sadness there still, which means they're not entirely sure either. Maybe they don't have uh, total confidence in the women's testimony as well. They haven't seen it for themselves. And here's just another little side note, too. Luke has nothing to gain and much to lose by adding this into the story because he knows his audience. He knows how his audience feels about the the witness uh, of women, the, the credibility of women, and yet he includes it anyway, which means it must have been true. He has much to lose and nothing to gain from sharing this unless, of course, it's true. And these guys are skeptical. They're not sure that this story is going to hold up or not. Then Jesus says to him in verse 25, Jesus says to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. These would have been well-read followers of Jesus. They would have understood their scriptures. And when I say scriptures, I don't mean the whole Bible, all 66 uh, books of the canon. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. That's all they had access to. They didn't have the New Testament. It was happening, right? So all they have is the Hebrew Scriptures. They would have known the Hebrew Scriptures in their Jewish understanding, their Jewish background. That was a way of life. It was a part of life. And so they would have known the Scriptures, absolutely. But they missed it still. They didn't see clearly. Jesus has to take them through the Scriptures concerning himself. This isn't a question of whether or not they knew the scriptures. This is a question of what they saw when they read the scriptures. And in their understanding, in their view, in their sight, in their reading of the scriptures, they didn't make room for a suffering Messiah, but instead hoped for a conquering one. And so they missed Jesus. 
He certainly missed it when he was crucified. Here's the thought. You and I, we can read the scriptures from front to back and back to front and still miss Jesus. Because maybe we come to it with our preconceived notions and expectations of what we hope for Jesus to be for us or to us. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, sometimes Jesus is just a means to an end for us. He says this, actually, Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says this to the religious leaders, the experts in the scriptures. They would have known their Bibles, and this is what he says to them. You search the scriptures because you think you, they give you eternal life. You search them back to front, front to back, because you think that that's what's going to give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive eternal life. How many of us do this as well? We, we just look for just, just the right verses to, to tell us what we hope we can find, to, to give us some sort of comfort and totally miss Jesus in the process. Here's the thing. Sometimes I'm concerned that we have more of a personal relationship with words on a page, with text, than we actually do with the subject of the text, which is Jesus. You may have heard the joke before that what has been adopted over time is a new trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Because we've left certain things out. We've made this thing, this paper, our God, more than the subject of it, Jesus. And what we forget is that for the first 1,500 years of the church, not everybody had their own personal Bible, or much less were probably literate. And yet somehow the church endured. Is it possible that there is power in the presence of the Holy Spirit who brings this to life? who connects us to Jesus, not just to words on a page, as well as the power of community coming together to talk about these things. How did the disciples respond to this, this charge? You foolish people. You foolish people. You didn't understand the scriptures. You read it wrong. You had a wrong interpretation of what you read. You missed me. You didn't see me clearly. How did they respond to this? Well, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us. It's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They saw him. Wait a second. Why didn't they see him when he read the scriptures to them? Why didn't they see him in the moment? Why didn't they recognize him when, they, when Jesus took them all through the, the writings of Moses and the, and the prophets and the Old Testament? Like, why didn't they see him then? Wouldn't you think that they would see Jesus clearly after going through the text? Wouldn't that enlighten them to Jesus? It just caused them to want more of him. Not more words on a page. They wanted more of him. They begged him, no, come stay with us. He's still a stranger at this moment when they beg him to come. And he comes. And they see him. They recognize him because of a meal. Because of some 
shared experience that they have together, a moment, an experience that they would have had many times over in the last three years that they've spent time with Jesus. Oh, I recognize that. that that's Jesus. Jesus breaks bread that way. Jesus gives us bread that way. Jesus shares meals with us in this way. That's got to be Jesus. That's the thing that helped open their eyes. Does anybody else find that weird? Like, we think there's, there's so much power in the Bible, and don't hear me wrong, I love Scripture, I do. But I can read this front to back, atheists can read this front to back and still miss the power and the presence and the encountering of Jesus. They did the same thing. They knew their Scriptures, and it wasn't until they break bread together that they see him and recognize him. There's something about this shared experience that causes them to recognize Jesus more so than the Scripture. Jesus talking about the Scriptures, yeah, it absolutely made them want more of him. That's a good thing. They begged him to be with him. But it's not until the meal that things change. But there's also something really cool going on here that I want you to see as well in what Jesus is doing with this whole meal thing of tying the whole story together. Not just the story of Jesus in the book of Luke, but the story of all of creation and God throughout the whole of scriptures. Speaking of creation, I want to show you a story in the creation narrative. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see the creation of the world, uh, of, of humanity as well, in verses, or sorry, chapters 1 and 2, and then we get to chapter 3, and everything turns sideways. Everything turns sideways because Satan or the serpent convinces humanity, hey, hey, if you eat this piece of fruit, your eyes are going to be opened and you will get to be like God. Well, that's awesome. That's certainly tempting. I would love to be like God as well. So this is what it says in verse 6 of chapter 3. The woman was convinced. The woman was convinced. Maybe this is why in the ancient world they didn't believe the witness and the, the testimony of women. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were opened. And suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They go into hiding. They don't belong. All they feel and experience and encounter when their eyes are opened is shame and nakedness. That's the first meal in creation, the first recorded meal in creation. Contrast that to what Luke is doing now with the first recorded meal in the new creation. And the resurrection of Jesus. Luke is doing something intentionally, specifically here, showing how the whole story is tied together, but it is, it is a story of redemption. We've got two different meals here with two very different outcomes and two different kinds of seeing that happens. See, they think this meal is going to help them become like God. And their eyes are opened indeed, absolutely, but to their own shame and to their own nakedness, and it's a meal that they take for themselves. But contrast that with the meal now that Jesus serves to these disciples in the new creation. 
Their, their eyes are opened in a different way. And now the story of redemption becomes clear because now Jesus, he breaks it and he gives them the meal as opposed to them taking it for themselves. And their eyes are also opened to recognize Jesus, not to their shame and nakedness, but instead their eyes are opened to recognize that Jesus is God, not them. They see him clearly. Luke is purposely showing the story of redemption since the beginning of creation, all the way until now. It comes full circle. And look at their response in verse 32. After Jesus disappears, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? See, something happens when we encounter Jesus and he encounters us we start to see clearly. We don't just see Jesus with our eyes. We now see him with the eyes of our hearts. Our hearts start to burn within us. And it causes us to want more of him. There is a new joy there that changes us from the inside out. Didn't our hearts burn within us? And what do they do? Verse 33, within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them. They went back. They went back to danger, to chaos, to this place where they knew that they were probably going to be hunted down and killed because they were associated with Jesus. Everybody was looking for followers and disciples of Jesus because they were going to quell that rebellion. They were going to put it down. And they went back to that. Why? Why would they risk their lives? Because they had an encounter with Jesus. They saw him clearly. And they could not contain their joy. Everything had changed. It didn't matter. They weren't afraid anymore. They just wanted to be with others who also had an encounter with Jesus and begin to talk about it and begin to have the shared experience as well. They could not contain their joy. I mentioned earlier that our eyes can be open, but we can still miss Jesus and not see him clearly. But when he encounters us, or more specifically, we encounter him. He opens our eyes. There is an unexpected transformation that takes place, not just in what we see, but in what we experience in our hearts. Our hearts burn. And we might know about Jesus. We might know Jesus. We might even know the Bible, but it's still possible to miss Jesus. An encounter goes beyond just knowledge. It transforms the eyes of our hearts. And that's our hope and prayer for you. That's why we make it a code. That's why we put it on our wall. We want you to encounter Jesus that goes beyond just knowledge. We want you to experience him. We want you to see him clearly. We want your heart to burn because you've had an encounter, an unexpected, transformational experience with Jesus. That's why we do things like pray and study our Bible. Yes, not just to know more knowledge, but to know more of him why we submit control to our lives, or submit control of our lives to him. That's why we worship, that's why we sing, that's why we gather together. All so that we can encounter Jesus together. I always like to ask this question. 
mostly to myself. How would I know? How would I know that I've had an encounter or that I'm continuing to encounter Jesus? What's the barometer for an encounter taking place? I mentioned they go back to Jerusalem, these disciples. They go back to what they knew was dangerous and chaotic. And when they go back, it's not long until they form this community they call the church. They, they call it the way, but it eventually gets to what we call the church. They form this community, and it is not long at all until they experience intense opposition, resistance, and persecution, and even death. And yet they do it anyway. How will you know when you cannot contain your joy, that you're willing to risk everything, that fear doesn't hold you back from encountering more of Jesus and wanting others to have that same kind of encounter? Encountering Jesus and seeing Jesus clearly comes with a risk. It does. It's not safe to encounter Jesus. Think about it this way. I want to bring up that picture again of me when I was in fifth grade with those glasses because I know you can't get enough of it. But um, this was a great experience because I got glasses I could see now, right? I, everything was clear to me, and it was like my whole world changed. But it had a reverse effect as well. It had a, a, a sort of a resistant effect because fifth grade was also the year that I started basketball. Now, I don't know what fifth grade was like for you, but for me, in the 90s, in my small town, I was the only kid on our team with glasses. And in a fifth grade brain in the 90s, all they can see is nerd. He's a nerd. He's got weird-looking glasses. That means he's not good at sports. That means we're not going to include him. He's going to lose the game for us. Don't put him in the game. We're not going to play him. And it didn't matter how hard I worked in practice. It didn't matter any of the things. It didn't matter if I had the strap to keep the glasses on. That made him look all the more nerdy. I was rejected by my teammates. I wasn't included on the team. I wasn't friends with all of them. All because I had glasses. Because in our brains in fifth grade in the 90s, it's like, well, he's different. See, I could see clearly. My life was better. My life was changed. I had a new joy but others didn't necessarily see it that way. You might have an encounter with Jesus. You might see clearly. You might have this uncontainable joy within you, but it doesn't mean everything else is going to be safe and easy. It might be opposition. It might be resistance to what it is that you're experiencing. What might this look like? What might an encounter with Jesus look like? What does it do? It could do any number of things, but I want to hone in on two things that I think specifically this community needs to hear. I need to hear. Here's what I think happens. When we encounter Jesus, what it does is it changes our expectations. I asked you earlier, what expectations do you have of Jesus? Similarly, the disciples had an expectation of Jesus that he was going to be a political military hero that would help them take over. They were about nation formation, not heart transformation. They had an expectation of Jesus until he takes them through the scriptures concerning himself and specifically concerning suffering and resistance and not necessarily overcoming by force, but overcoming in an upside-down way through love and sacrifice and humility. That's actually how you overcome their eyes were opened 
they realized that their expectations of Jesus had to change. When you encounter Jesus, you might have an expectation. Maybe a certain way of understanding what God was like. Maybe you were taught a certain thing about God, a certain perspective about what God is like. Maybe he's this angry bearded guy in the sky, and so he's just waiting for you to fail. And if you did fail, he's going to strike you down. And the, that's why you don't feel like you can come into a church and feel a sense of belonging, because that's what God is like. That's the picture of God that you have. You need to change your expectations, change your view. That's not what God is like. Maybe you were reading something in the Bible and you developed an image of what God is like and now you have an encounter with Jesus and that changes your perspective. It could be any number of things, any number of ways that you have understood God. But maybe an expectation needs to change. Also, when we encounter Jesus, it does another thing. It transcends knowledge. It transcends knowledge. They knew the scriptures. They knew their Old Testament. They had to. It was a way of life. And yet they still missed Jesus. And even though Jesus takes them through the scriptures to understand himself, yes, they got excited. Yes, they wanted more of Jesus. But that's not what helped them to recognize him. It wasn't until they had a shared experience because an encounter with Jesus transcends just knowledge. That's when they recognized him. I had this moment, I went to a seminary, and at the end, when I went to the graduation uh, ceremony, there was a commencement speech, and one of the professors got up and he said, all right, congratulations, everybody, way to go, well done. You all have worked really hard, a lot of you paid a lot of money, a lot of you spent a lot of time, some of you have spent a ton of time away from your families in order to get this done. Way to go. Now, you have also gained a lot of knowledge and even some wisdom along the way. Notice the difference. You've gained a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom along the way. But if you go from this place, if you go from here now, and you use that knowledge to lord it over people, to hold that knowledge over people's heads, to win more debates, to be more theologically savvy, then we have failed you. I don't remember anything else from that commencement speech except for that because it cut right to my heart. I had an expectation that if I were to go to seminary, I would win more Bible debates. I would win more arguments on theology. I would be smarter than everybody else. I'd be the smartest one in the room if I had more knowledge than everybody else. Oops, wrong expectation. And at the end of the ceremony, this is what I hear. We have failed you if that's what this has been about. This is an extremely profound moment for me because an encounter with Jesus is not just being book smart. It's not just knowing a whole lot of Bible verses and memorizing things. All of that is good, yes. But an encounter with Jesus transcends knowledge and it changes our expectations. I want to give you some action steps. And these action steps are going to be sort of solutions to ways in which it's difficult for us to see clearly, right? I mentioned we're all having a bit of an eye exam here today, and all of us are coming from different places. All of us have different barriers that keep us from seeing Jesus clearly and truly encountering him. So some of these might stick out to you in specific ways, or maybe all of them do, but here's what we need to do. We need to get new lenses, 
Or some of us maybe need to get glasses for the very first time. Some of us need to adjust our lenses, right? We need uh, to update our prescription a little bit. What I mean by that is sometimes we have uh, the wrong prescription. So it, I, I have glasses. I'm wearing my contacts right now. But if I were to give you my glasses to help you see better, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to see better because they might not be the prescription that you need. So what we need to do is we need to adopt a different lens. And what I mean specifically is we need to adopt a cross-cultural lens as we read the Bible. I've heard so many people say in my time as a pastor is, I, I would love to read the Bible, Jared, but like, it's just really hard. I just don't understand it. I don't get it. And I want to say, of course, of course you don't understand it. You're a modern, Western, American, English-speaking person trying to read an ancient document that has been translated over and over to different languages from a different culture and a different time. Of course it's hard for you. What I actually struggle with more is the people who come to me and say, just tell people to read their Bibles. Just tell them to pick it up and read it. It's clear. Anybody can understand it. Just open it up and read it and it's clear. Like, really? Wow, that, that's amazing because you must speak multiple languages. You must have incredible knowledge of different cultures. Here's the thing. Simply by picking up an English Bible, you're already engaging in a cross-cultural experience. And yet we like to say, well, it's just clear. It's just clear. I can just open it up and I can find any verse I want and I can immediately apply it to my life without thinking about any of the implications of the culture at the time or the language or anything like that. Now, I don't mean to say all of this to say, well, you all have to go to seminary now. You all have to get books and books and books and read more books to understand. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But I want us to bring a level of sensitivity to the fact that we are engaging in a cross-cultural experience simply by picking it up and reading it. So that comes with a different weight. It comes with a different level of sensitivity. So I just want to give you a couple tools that you might consider if you are learning how to do this cultural interaction with the Bible. One book that was really helpful for me is a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. I have a certain agenda that I bring to the Bible because of the way I grew up, because of what I understand about the word, the world. And I bring my expectations and my circumstances into the Bible. I have to be aware of that. I have to recognize that before I just jump right in and just read it and then apply it however I see fit. Because again, we can read the Bible front to back. We can know about Jesus, but we can still miss an encounter with Jesus and not see him clearly. It's a good tool, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. There's another book on my left-hand side. It's called Reading While Black. I've just started picking this one up and reading it. Now, specifically, the author, Esau Macaulay, says, he says this book was intended for uh, black Christians, for African-American Christians who grew up with an African-American experience in the church. And what he says is, we all bring different questions to the Bible. He says, we're not trained to change the truth of the Bible, that's not what we're after, but because of our experiences, because of our lives and our circumstances, we all just bring different questions to the Bible. And so, for those of you, if you're trying to understand your experience and how that intersects with the Bible, that might be a good tool for you as well. Uh, I would encourage you to understand the sensitivity of engaging in a cross-cultural experience when reading the Bible and trying to see Jesus clearly. Because here's something I always used to say to my students in youth ministry. I said, if you take an understanding of Jesus 
your understanding of Jesus and your understanding of the Bible, and you go to Afghanistan, the Philippines, Russia, would the way that you talk about Jesus work? Would it fit within that culture? Or have you constructed your own American English-speaking Jesus in your own mind? It's usually a good barometer. We might need new lenses. That's the first action step. They're not all going to be this long. That was the biggest one that was important to me. The second one is this. We get myopic. We get narrow-minded, or maybe I would say we get nearsighted. And so what we need to do is we need to zoom out a little bit. Sometimes I said we'll just go right to one particular verse or a couple sentences and we'll immediately go and try to apply it to our lives without considering what's the greater context of what's going on in the story. And we might totally miss it. The, the famous one that we always go to is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not for destruction. And we think, well, if anything goes wrong, well, then Jeremiah 29, 11 didn't work. I experienced destruction. I didn't get rich off of this whatever thing. That's not understanding the Bible in its full context. Later on in that story, he says, you're going to be in exile for 70 years. Okay, so there's a difference there, right? Like that. We need to understand the whole story. We need to zoom out and not be so narrow-minded, nearsighted, and myopic. And what I mean by that is we need to look back at sort of the whole story. Where's this all going? I thought about this illustration a couple days ago. Sometimes if I'm going to a new place, if I'm driving to a new place, uh, I'll get the address on my phone, and I won't go right to the turn-by-turn directions. I'll sort of like pinch to to zoom out because I want to see where's the general direction that I'm going. Maybe because I have trust issues with the GPS and what turned up, you know, that's a whole other issue. But I just, I kind of want to get an idea of like, where's the general idea of where I'm headed? And then once I feel confident, then, you know, I put the car in drive and I start taking the turn-by-turn directions. Similarly, uh, there are so many tools at our disposal now. There's, I I push this one all the time. You're probably going to get sick of me saying it, but the Bible Project bibleproject.com, they create these incredibly creative videos of overviews of every book in the Bible. And you get this idea, you get this general direction of like, where is this kind of headed? And it just helps enrich the experience of reading the Bible so that we're not just seeing it in a nearsighted way, but we're zooming out and seeing that this whole thing is about Jesus and encountering him. Lastly, sometimes we make it all about knowledge. We make it all about knowledge, and we need to experience and encounter Jesus that transcends just knowledge. And so I want to give you a real simple action step. Begin to discuss Jesus over a meal. Do what they did. Do something that is universal to all cultures. Everybody's got to eat. Eat together. I know it's weird with the pandemic as well, and everybody's in different places with getting together and sharing food together, but there is something powerful about coming together, breaking bread together, encountering Jesus together so that we see him, we recognize him. We have the shared experience. And allow the Holy Spirit to be part of it as well. One part of the story, because it's super long, but I encourage you to read the rest of the story in Luke chapter 24. But Jesus, he disappears at the end of this part of the story, but he shows back up again in Jerusalem with the rest of the disciples. And he begins to eat with them again, and he begins to talk about the scriptures and open their minds to the scriptures once again. But then he says, in a little while, I'm going to leave you again. But this time, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Don't do this without the Holy Spirit. Invite 
the Holy Spirit into your reading of the scriptures, into your time of prayer, into your time of eating together, breaking bread together, and encountering Jesus together. In just a moment, we're going to continue in worship. We're going to sing another song. Sing about the freedom that comes with experiencing, encountering, knowing, seeing Jesus clearly. But also, we want to provide a way for you to encounter Jesus through prayer. And so last week we started this. We're going to do it again this week. But uh, in just a moment, I'm going to go down here. I want to invite anybody who's on the prayer team to come forward. We're just going to stand up front. And if you would like to encounter Jesus through prayer, come forward during the song. And we want to pray with you. We want you to have an encounter with Jesus. Something unexpected might happen. A transformation might happen. Your heart might begin to burn within you. But come forward and receive prayer. Some of you watching online, some of you in the room, you have not yet had an encounter with Jesus. Maybe you are that person who like Nathan's you belong message. You're like, no, if I walk into a church, it's going to burn down. Maybe you're even nervous to be here today. We're still okay. Because Jesus wants to meet you. He wants to encounter you. He's actually right there beside you. You might think he's far from you, but he is right there next to you. Will you open your eyes today? Will you see him clearly? Will you recognize him? And experience an uncontainable joy? It's not safe but it'll transform your life. If you want that, I want to invite you to pray along with me now. God, some of us, our expectations of you are changing even now. Maybe images of you that we've gotten growing up or that we've read about that have caused us some kind of distance from you. It's caused a view of you to be a little bit blurry. We can't see you clearly. But now we're getting lenses. Things are starting to become clear. Things are starting to become in focus. And now I see you, Jesus. I want to see you even more. Come and stay with me. Come and be with me. Come into my life. I want to commit my life to you. I want to see you clearly every day because I don't want to stumble in darkness. And I will choose to trust in you every day of my life. Well, once again, thank you for listening. And we hope that you encountered Jesus or that Jesus has encountered you, uh, that you are impacted and transformed, not just in your eyes, but in your heart, and that you see Jesus clearly. Um, And if that is the case, if you have experienced Jesus maybe in an unexpected way, uh, we'd love to know about it. And we'd love for you to fill out a Connect card. You can do that by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And toward the top of the page is a button that says connect card. Just click on that, fill out a little bit of information about yourself, and then we'll be in touch with you as soon as we can so that we can help you take some next steps. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you back here soon.